Today we're going to continue in our sermon series called Storyteller. We've talked about who God is by nature being sovereign, being good, being eternal. We talked about God creating the earth and saying it was good. We've also talked about God creating us in his image and saying this is very good. But sadly, as we look at the whole redemptive story and redemptive history, sadly, sin is part of the story. All of us every day see the devastation of sin and of the fall of man. It's tough for me to even watch the news for any long period of time because I begin to get depressed <laughs> and feel anxious. I don't want to let my kids or my wife leave the house because you see the depravity of man in this world. But I don't want us to be left in that in this sadness, even though, if I'm honest with you, we're living in a sinful world with his death, with his devastation, with his division. If you watch the news, like I said, you know there's murder and there's kidnappings and there's so many horrible things like wars that go on. But we must put our hope in the gospel. We must know that God being eternal, that this will not be forever. That God did create the earth and us in a perfect state. And we did sin. But God, by his grace, and because of his mercy, and because of his love, set, send his, sent his son Jesus to save us and set in motion the restoration of all things. One of our major hopes. And one of the major truths that we live our life on is that Jesus will one day return. He will create and bring and usher in a new heaven and a new earth. And we will live once again in a perfect state where there will be no sin, no crying, no pain, no death. And so we see today that Adam, because of his disobedience to God, allows sin and death to enter world. But we see something so much more beautiful happen. Something beautiful happen. Jesus comes and he's called the second Adam in the Bible and he's perfectly obedient to God. He resists the temptation of the devil. And because of that, all things are made new and he ushers in life and restoration instead of sin and death. So I want you guys to be encouraged today and hear the gospel today. That even though things are at times sad in this life, even if you're a Christian, you're not always going to be happy. You know, we lose loved ones. Um, I, I was weeping this week because someone, this eight and nine-year-old boy in my daughter's school, lost his mom to an overdose. And it breaks my heart. It both drives me because you realize people need to hear the gospel. They need to hear that they're made in the image of God and that they're very good and that you no, know, they can't be perfect, but that Jesus was perfect. And they need the hope that everything will be uh, returned to his perfect state. But even as a Christian, we go through those moments. I was weeping for this young boy, Anthony. My heart broke. He needs to know, his mom needed to know, that Jesus made all things new and one day we'll return everything back to his perfect state. And I want you guys to hear this hope today in a, in a tough world to live in.
So we need to first talk about what did it look like? What was this perfect state, right? So we learned that God created the earth for, for man to, a perfect environment for man. He made it for man to dwell in. He took Adam and he took Eve and he put them in a perfect garden where he was first, you need to hear this, he was in a perfect relationship with his children. And they were in perfect relationship with them. He made us to be in relationship with us, for there to be no barriers, no sin, just to be loved, and for us to worship him and receive the benefits of being in a perfect relationship with God. They're in this perfect paradise. So there's a few things practically I need you to hear about this perfect paradise. And this will, uh, someone who lives in New England, the weather was perfect. It might be 90 degrees tomorrow, I'm telling you, this is where we live. The weather was perfect every day. So when I went to California, I looked at the forecast for the week. And it said 77 to 83 every day, no humidity, there's no mosquitoes. And I said, something has to be wrong with this forecast. Growing up in Boston, you say, this, this ain't right. My app's not working right. There's something wrong with my phone, right? This weather was unbelievable. It wasn't until you were sitting out on the deck at night and you realize I'm sitting out here with my wife just enjoying everything and you haven't swatted a mosquito away, that you say, this is the perfect environment, perfect weather. All right? They're in this garden where they wake up every day and their forecast is even better than Laguna Beach. Okay? Secondly, and maybe um, there's a lot of pet lovers in here, so I think this will hit a, um, a chord with you guys. They got to interact with the animals without fear of death, right? So they couldn't just, it wasn't just you had a dog. You could pet a jaguar. You understand me? So I went to Stone Zoo with my family last Saturday. You know, it was a great day. It was a perfect day. But you guys know when you get to the jaguar exhibit, number one, these animals are so beautiful. Their coat. But when you go to Stone Zoo, there's a place you can sit at right next to the glass. And if the jaguar pleases, he can jump up on that wagon and come right up face to face. Can you believe that jaguar jumped right up on that thing and came face to face? Now, I was like a little kid. I wanted to let the little kids see the Jaguar, but I said, oh my goodness, this thing's right here. And so I let my kids see the Jaguar. Everyone else got up there, and I said, I have to get face-to-face -face with this Jaguar. Unbelievable. I'm talking right here. There's just guys, the eyes on this animal and the coat, and he was calm and just looking at me. You felt like you wanted to reach through the glass and just start petting him, but there would have been an injury if that happened. Adam and Eve named the animals, were in perfect relationship with the animals. They, they, they could pet the jaguar. You know what I mean? Now, I'm not saying there's an actual jaguar was in the garden of Eden, but you guys get the point I mean. Whatever animals were in this garden, they interacted with them perfectly with no fear of death. You know, and you see when the Bible talks about shalom and when God restores all things, you hear about the lion and the lamb and the children playing with the lion. You hear about this perfect perfect interaction with animals. And we're made, because we're made in the image of a triune God, we're made to relate to God theologically, we're made to relate to ourselves psychologically, we're made to relate to our communi um, community socially, but we're also made to relate to the environment 
with animals. That's why we love dogs. And if I didn't have allergies, I'd have a dog. And we love pets and we love to take care of our environment. So that's part of perfect paradise, that they're in this perfect environment. Now let's talk about the state of their whole being. First, physically. There's no aches and pains. You don't wake up today and because ragweed and mold are in the air because it's the fall season, you have a stuffy nose or you have aches and pains or you're worried about getting a cold. They were in the perfect physical state where sickness did not bother their life. They woke up ready to go. And all of us, every one of us who are getting older, realize stuff's starting to ache, stuff's starting to hurt, and our bodies are in the process of dying. Physically, they did not have to deal with that. Every day they got up per perfect physically in the perfect environment and were just ready to do this. All right? Emotionally. Sometimes emotional pain can be the most traumatic. They did not experience emotional pain like guilt, shame. Those are all consequences of sin, that we feel those barriers between God and us. We feel guilt and shame. They were in the perfect emotional state. It was joy every single day because they were in a perfect relationship with God. And finally, like I said, spiritually, I want to sandwich it in this. They were in the perfect state with God. There were none of these questions. Even as Christians, we face this question. Does God really love me? Am I pleasing to God? Has he given up on me? Is he for me? And he, is he with me? Does he have good plans for my life? They woke up with these thoughts every day. God created this for me. He's with me. He loves me. He's for me. He spends time with me. This is a perfect state. Nothing like we're experiencing right now. It is paradise. It is what the Old Testament calls shalom. The perfect state of creation. The perfect state of relationship between man and between God. But then something terrible happens. Something horrible happens. The fall of man. And so we all realize there's something in us that realizes something went terribly wrong. There's, there's something wrong with the world. It is fallen. It is devastated. So I want us to turn to Genesis 3 because we're going to examine what the fall of man is. And I'm going to do some reading because in Restoration Road, I'm going to read the whole chapter. It's only 24 verses. The scripture, it's very important to us. It's the revealed word of God. We need to get in a, um, even in the discipline of hearing the word read to hear the story of God and know the story of God and allow it to change us and to permeate us and let us help us understand God and his redemptive story better. It says in Genesis 3.1, Now the, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall never eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of, of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes 
in that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I have heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked. And I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. The Lord God said to the woman, What is it that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman she said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And Adam said, and to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust. And to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve. Because she was the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garment. Garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. And at the east of the garden of Eden he placed cherubim and, and a flaming sword that turned every way to God the way to the tree of life. So we see first in this narrative, in this story, we see that there is a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So we see part of the story, part of God making man in his image, man and woman in his image to be in relationship, is that free will and choice is involved in the story. He did not make man to be robots who had to worship him, who had to love him, who had to obey him. You cannot really have a true and fruitful and loving relationship unless someone chooses to love you. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil shows us that truth and that reality. He wants Adam and Eve as image bearers of God as moral creatures to choose to love him. They are given free will. And throughout this whole story, <coughs> excuse me, of redemption, you will see people making good choices to obey and worship God, and you will see people making bad choices. 
we're going to see the first bad choice in the story of humanity today. And we get introduced to someone who is an enemy of God today. And so I'm not going to talk extensively about Satan today. I'm just going to talk enough about him so you understand the story and the narrative. Because in two weeks, I'm going to have a whole message on Satan, his schemes, what part he plays in the story of redemption and all those things. So I'm not going to talk extensively. I need you to know a few truths about Satan. First of all, he exists. Once again, we'll unpack that in a couple weeks. Secondly, he was not created in the image of God. He was created as a spiritual, angelic being. Thirdly, he rebelled against God. And if people want to be theologically correct, it wasn't Adam who sinned first. It was actually Satan who sinned first. So Satan rebels against God. He wants to be like God. He leads one-third of the angels out of heaven. And he's an enemy of God this whole story. He still is an enemy of God and an enemy of God's people. He poses this question first to Eve. And the question has this whole theme about it, and I want you guys to hear this. Does God really have your good in mind? Is he really for you? Has he told you truth? Does he have your best interest in mind? Does he really love you the way he says he loves you? He almost asked this question, he says, did God tell you not to eat of that tree? And almost like, did he, and I'm paraphrasing here, did he really say that? It's almost in a mocking way. Like, you know when you say to someone, when you hear something you think is absurd, and you say, did that person really say that? You start to question yourself, right? What, am, am I an idiot? Am I a fool? Am I not seeing the picture right? Of course, Eve should have known the nature of God and known he was good and see he made her in his image and he's watched over them and he's created all for their good. But he starts to question if God is for their good. And he said, did God really say that you couldn't eat of that tree? Then he goes on to state this lie. He says, you will not die because God told Adam and Eve, they would die if they, that was the consequence, they would die if they disobeyed him. Satan says, you won't die. God's a liar. He's holding good back from you. He doesn't want you to be like him. And that's just like sin, isn't it? Many times when we sin, we think God's holding something good back from us. We want to take something sinfully that makes us happy and that brings us pleasure. And we don't think God has our best interest in mind when he tells us not to commit that sin. So Eve begins to question herself when Satan poses these questions. Is God good? And he states, and Satan says, God is lying. You'll be like God. And this is ironic because we talked last week. We are like God because we're made in God's image in our moral capacity and our emotional capacity. Um, we're like God, but we are not God. So what Satan was really saying, it's not enough to be made in God's image and like God and represent him. He said, you can be God. And that's really what sin is all about, right? We want to make the choices in our life, what's best for us. God doesn't know what's best for my life. If there's something that comes into an area that I think is great, I'm going to choose to do what I want, not what God has told me to do. I want to be God of my life. And Eve does something 
horrendous here. She, she chooses to believe the lie of Satan over the truth of God. So you say to yourself, where is Adam? Where's Adam this whole time? He is called to lovingly lead his family. He's called to protect. He's called to speak truth. He's called to rebuke Satan. And he's kind of just sitting back. You don't even hear about him until he's just eating an apple. It's called the sin of omission. And a lot of people don't understand that the sin of omission is still sin. If you stand back and allow things to happen and allow sin to happen and you don't step up and, and speak God's word and fight for people and love people and lay down your life for people, that's still wrong. Adam does not function the way God created him to function. He should have got right in between and said, this is a lie. God is good. He loves us perfectly. We have this perfect paradise. He should have resisted the devil and the devil would have fleed. But instead, Adam, he not, not only the sin of omission, he participated in the sin. And they have had major consequences. And please hear this. Sin, there are major consequences for sin. The wages of sin are death. And so I want to, what are the consequences of the fall? Because Adam chose to sin, Eve chose to sin, and we read through that whole story. They receive, we can't talk too much about this today, they receive personal curses on male and female, right? That affect them, but also affect us. You also see in their family life what sin did. They have their sons, Cain and Abel, and one of their sons murder each other. So I don't want to make this the major point of the sermon. Stay far away from sin because it just keeps having this domino effect that not only affects you, but affects your family and other people in your life. You see, Adam and Eve at that time, what were they thinking? They were thinking about themselves. And I want to be like God. And what happened? The consequences, next thing you know, the two sons, one's murdering the, the other one, and it, 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 chaos comes. But I, I don't want to focus just on that. I want to focus more on the consequences of sin that we experience today. One of them is horrible. It's, it's death. There, were, there was no death before Adam and Eve sinned. They were in this perfect state. Now, in the past two or three weeks, I've heard about so much death, and I said this two weeks ago, it's been so, so sad. I don't care how old you get or how young you are, death is a horrible, horrible thing. We experience death because Adam sinned. The second thing is, we experience the truth that we have a sin nature. We are sinners by nature and by choice. This is called imputed sin. This is, called, this is the truth that's woven throughout the Bible, that we're all born with a sin nature. I think you guys live with a sin nature every day, right? If you look at history, it's tough to argue that man is totally depraved the way he acts. And I just want to read this quote to you. This is someone who observed our sin nature. So we get the joys of observing our sin nature every day. We know our sinners by nature and by choice. But I'm going to read you a quote from Sigmund Freud. First of all, I need you to hear me say I'm not endorsing this man. 
But this man had a particular gift of intellect, of observation, and of writing. And he's a great example to use right here because he was totally depraved. He never repented and put his faith in God and worshipped God. So because he is such a good observer of the, the nature of man around him and within him, he's able to give us a good snapshot of the nature of the sinful nature of man. People always ask me when you hear quotes from guys like this and say, do you, do you agree with that? I say, absolutely I agree with it because he is just writing about the depravity of man. It's a beautiful, beautiful observation from an unregenerated man. It, it, it makes perfect logical sense. Sigmund Freud said this, and it's pretty harsh. He said, men are not gentle. Friendly creatures wishing for love, who simply defend themselves if they are attacked. But they are powerful, but that a powerful measure of aggression has to be reckoned as part of their instinctual endowment. The result is that their neighbor is to them not only a possible helper or sex object, but also a temptation to them to gratify their aggressiveness on him to exploit his capacity for work with, without recompense, to use him sexually without consent, to seize his possessions, to humiliate him, to cause him pain, to torture and to kill him. Who has the courage to, to, to dispute it in the face of the evidence in his own life and in history? So he makes those statements. But the last one is the one that just really rang through. Who, which one of us can argue that man is not totally depraved when you look inside yourself and you look at history? If you look at history and the heinous acts that we've done to one another, how could you argue that man is not born with a sinful nature? That is tough to argue. I'm just being honest. And I know some people are less depraved than others. So a guy who, who's stealing from the corner store is not as depraved as a serial killer. And because of God's common grace, even people who don't worship him and follow him are capable of good in some capacity. But man is totally depraved. We are born sinners by nature. And by choice. Some people will call this pervasive depravity too. Meaning sin has marred and stained and affected every aspect of our being. From our affections, to our reasoning, to our thoughts. Every part of us is affected as a consequence of sin. Because of Adam. So it would be really sad if the story ended right there, right? Oh, great. <laughs> We're sinners by nature and choice. We're over-aggressive. We want to torture each other. We want to use each other. The evidence shows that this is horrible. Everything's sad. Let's go home and mope. The story doesn't end there. Yes, sin is part of the story, but grace overcomes the whole story. We get to see 
the response of God to the fall, and it's unbelievable. If you don't look closely, you'll miss it. So we might have looked at that whole story and said, this is a horrible story. How did this happen? We only saw negative things. But upon further investigation, you see God's grace covering the whole thing. In Genesis 3.15, and I stopped for a second when I read 125 verses in a row, specifically on that verse, because Genesis 3.15 is the first proclamation of the gospel. It's called the first gospel. It's the first promise that Jesus is coming. Let's read that again. It's only one verse. When God is pronouncing the curse upon Satan, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. What does he say? Jesus is coming to crush your head. Yes, you will bruise his heel. Yes, he will suffer. Yes, he will get crucified. Yes, he will be in pain. But he will crush your head. And he will put enmity between your offspring and Eve's offspring. And he will bring salvation through himself. The first proclamation of the gospel in the midst of all this sin. So God being holy had every right just to say, this is over. I made a mistake. I got to start over from scratch and wipe them out. But we know from his nature, he's sovereign, he's good, and he's eternal, and he's loving, so he doesn't respond like that. He says, you guys have failed miserably. I'm going to proclaim the gospel to you right now. Jesus is coming to crush Satan's head, to bring salvation to your offspring. Also, practically, if you look at the story in other ways, you see other ways that he was so loving. One is, like I said, he didn't destroy them right away. You see them, him make clothes to cover them, right? So we think about our earthly fathers, right? We think about we have sinful natures, we respond awfully, and how sometimes our earthly fathers sin horribly when we fail them or we disobey them, right? Not God. He nurtures them. He gives them clothes. He gives them hope through the gospel. Some theologians will argue that was the first sacrifice for sin because if he had animal skins there had to be an animal that was sacrificed for him to clothe them properly some theologians say he made a sacrifice for sin to put furs on them but you also see that he still stays in relationship with them when, when Adam has came he thanks the Lord he said the Lord has helped me have a man and you even see from the way they train their children to make offerings to God that being in relationship with God was still part of their life. To me, that's absolutely amazing. It's a testament to God's grace that sometimes we miss in the story of the fall of man. Because even louder than the story of the fall, God's grace resonates through this story. And we get to see Jesus succeed in a way that Adam failed. So if you go to Matthew 4, you see Jesus, who is called the second Adam, tempted by Satan much in the same way that the first Adam was tempted. He's on a 40-day fast, and it says the Holy Spirit led him to be in a confrontation with Satan. Jesus Perfectly sinless. 
perfectly obedient. And once again, Satan wants to try to convince Jesus, the Son of God, that God the Father is not good and does not have his best intentions in mind. He starts off by twisting scripture. Satan always twists scripture and tries to get you to wrongly interpret it. Jesus was on a 40-day fast. He was being obedient to the Holy Spirit. He wasn't called to break the fast. He says, if you're a son of God, you're so hungry, why don't you turn these stones into bread and eat it right now? If you're that powerful, why don't you do that? Jesus responds in a way far different and far superior to the way Adam's respond. He doesn't back up. Oh, I don't know. Can we make bread? No. He steps up and says, the word of God says, man shall not live by bread alone. He knows the word of God. He's in relationship with his father. He knows the lies of Satan and he uses the word of God powerfully for his people, for us, to protect us, to care for us, to look out for us. Like Adam should have, Jesus succeeds. He then says, oh, if you're the son of God, he's questioning his identity. If you're the son of God, throw yourself off the cliff because angels will save you. Won't he save you? Once again, Jesus ferociously. You need to see Jesus masculine and ferocious and in Satan's face right now. Says, you shall not, it is written every time, you shall not test the Lord your God. Much different response than Adam. Finally, this would be the thing that would be most tempting, right? He brings them to the mountaintop, shows them all the kingdoms of the world. And Satan, and we'll talk about this once again in a couple of weeks, being the prince of this world, and in a certain way, says to Jesus, I'll give you all this glory. I'll make it all yours if you only bow down and worship me. You see, Satan, what does he want? He wants to be God. He tempts Jesus to take glory for his time. And he tempts him to avoid the cross. Do you know what would happen if Jesus avoided the cross? There is no hope for us if Jesus avoided the cross. The temptation for him to say, I don't want the suffering. I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to die by the hands of sinners and angry men. Satan tempts him. Jesus ferociously says, you should worship God or not. He succeeds. Where Adam failed, he's obedient. Where Adam is disobedient. Because of Adam, we get the consequences of sin. Because of Jesus, we get the consequences of the gospel. Amazing, amazing, amazing stuff. There's so many facets of the gospel. You can get excited about one facet every week for the rest of your life, and I'm sure we'll spend the rest of eternity doing it. But I just got so excited I had to compose myself. That is unbelievable what Christ did. So I want to talk about you in an application part of the sermon about the consequences of the gospel. Because those are some horrible consequences, right? We're dying. Sin entered. Everything is, yeah. But the consequences of the gospel stamp out the consequences of sin and death. So Jesus brings life and restoration. First of all, 
What did Jesus, when we preached through the Gospel of John, what did he always offer? Eternal life. Eternal life. If you believe in me, you'll never die. You will have eternal life. There's life after death. He is sovereign, good, eternal. He defeats death. Now we have a hope in eternal life and will experience eternal life because of Jesus. That's a consequence of the gospel. Secondly, we've been imputed God's righteousness. So you guys know the Bible tells us that we're slaves to sin before the Holy Spirit awakens our hearts to the truth of the gospel. We're slaves to sin. I talk to people who are slaves to sin all the time. All the time. I sit down with people who are immoral, who are addicted, who say, I want to stop. They always say, I want to stop doing this, but I cannot stop doing it. They're slaves to sin. But Jesus comes in and makes us a slave to righteousness. The Bible says you are now slaves of righteousness. The Holy Spirit is working inside you to make you more like Jesus, to sanctify you, to cause you to reflect the image of God and the power of the gospel. I'm telling you, I get frustrated sometimes because I'm still a sinner. <laughs> then I'm a slave to righteousness. It bothers me. I'm like, man, I keep having to do the right thing. I don't want to do the right thing. I, wanna... I feel that weight of that pull of the flesh and the spirit. Like, man, all these people who are slaves of sin look like they're having so much fun. Right? I'm sick of doing the right thing. The Holy Spirit keeps moving my heart. I'm a slave to righteousness. I can't stop. That's what God does to you. He messes you up in the right way. That's a consequence of the gospel. So when you're imputed sin, you say, oh, I can't control myself. I'm acting crazy. Jesus comes in. The Holy Spirit comes in and says, I'm going to make you a slave to righteousness. And all of a sudden, you can't control yourself. You just want to worship Jesus. You just want to do good. You just want to proclaim the gospel. You just want to become more like him and follow him no matter what you have to sacrifice. That's a consequence of the gospel. And finally, like I said, there's something inside all of us. No matter how good it here, it is here on earth, there's always this thought in the back of your mind, one day my days are numbered. The people I love are going to pass away. People around me are going to suffer. There's always a longing in you to return to that perfect state that God created us in. Perfect creation. No death. No sorrow. No pain. Perfect relationship with God. No guilt. No shame. There's always that inside of us. Jesus is going to do that. The end of the story, and we'll preach it at the end of the sermon series, is God making everything new. Yes, he allowed evil and suffering to show its ugly face. But many theologians say evil was allowed to show its face so it could be destroyed forever. Forever. No more evil, no more tears, no more pain, no more confusion, no more lies. Only truth, no more darkness, only light. No more separation, only Jesus. This is the hope we had. Yes, men fell, but Jesus restored in an even, far superior, greater way. Amen.